Praise the Lord. It's good to be together, isn't it? I say it every week. It's not just Christianese, and I'm not just introing. It is good to be together. It's part of the kingdom of God. We're meant to be together. You know that. There's no such thing as an island in Christ, although there are those that have been were put in prison and and the Lord sustained them supernaturally because they didn't have other believers, they didn't have a Bible, and the Lord was there with them. That's not the norm. That is an extreme scenario. We're meant to be together. We're meant to build each other up. Iron sharpening iron, right? We're meant to be in the Word. We're meant to be worshiping on our own and together. Praise the Lord, right? Well, I just have... Uh, some things I want to say today. This is a part three of what I've been feeling is on the Lord's heart, and so I'm going to try to articulate it as best I can, but this is part three of call on the Lord, and I believe that it's time to call on the Lord. Who believes it's time to call on the Lord? We need to call on Him. I don't always have points. Sometimes my sermons are more like ballads. Anybody know what a ballad is? You know, a lot of songs have verse, chorus, verse, chorus, right? A ballad starts somewhere and it ends somewhere else, you know, and all kind of ties together, right? But not necessarily somewhere where you could track, you know, main points unless you stop and really dissect it. So, um, but I have some points, and I just want to say firstly this. Number one, he's meant to be sought out and known. I want you to say it out loud with me because I know you believe it. He's meant to be sought out and known. We know as believers that we are in this world. Who's in this world with me? Anybody else in this world with me? All right, we're all in this world, but what do we know as believers? As mature believers, what do we know? We're in this world, but we are not of this world. We are in it, but we're not of it. And yet, I always finish with this, and yet, we're still in it. We're in it, but we're not of it, but we're still in it. And I want to say this for now. Everybody say for now. One day soon we'll see him face to face as the Bible promises. And until then, in this present time, we must get to know him. We must seek him and we must call on him. I'm going to say that again because it's meant to be heard one day we will see him face to face, as the Bible promises us, but until then, in this present time, we are meant to know him, to seek him, and to call on him. Do you know that your life is not life without Jesus? I went to the Lord this morning, and I said a prayer to him that I've said many times. I say it probably at least 300 times a year, so that's almost every day if you're doing your math. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I need you. You're the only way. There's no one else like you. There's nothing else like you. And then suddenly I realized something as I was saying it, that it just all of a sudden I had this fresh revelation that it's not that I need Jesus, there's no one like him, there's nothing else like him. Yes, those things are true, but my life does not make sense. It's a much higher level than just saying, Jesus, I need you. I mean, we can say that prayer, say it to him. I mean, I, pr I pray you say that same prayer, Jesus, I need you, and he'll hear that prayer, but it's 
All of a sudden this morning, I realized it's a much higher level than me needing him. I realized it's not just that I need him. I don't know how to express it in human words, but I'm not alive without him. Do you get what I'm saying? The breath in my lungs is a facade. Anybody know what the word facade is? Right? Something that looks real and it's not real. It's a picture. It's, a, it's a, an image of something that's real, but it's not real. I just was reminded again, not just that, Jesus, I need you, like it's something I can add to my life, something to make. He's not there to make my life better, although he does. But that's not the purpose. He's there because, <laughs> this is amazing, he's there Rather, I'll say it this way. We're here because of him. He made us to know him. And any deviation, even the slightest, from complete and total submission, complete and total connection to him in knowing, if our desire is not to know him as our greatest desire, even a slight deviation from that, it's like a virus in your body, or maybe you think in computers today, a computer virus. What is a virus? Come on, we got a couple of, we got, we got an NP back there, and we got some studying here, right? What is a virus, right? It's something in the body that's attacking the body. I mean, I know that there's more technical to that, but it's not supposed to be there. And the, even the, even a simple deviation just from God not quite being first, but even having a tie for something else in our lives, there's a short circuit in the code in you, whether you want to think of DNA or computers. Again, I'm using those terms. Something is broken. and We must come back to the place where we know him. He must be sought out. And here's the amazing thing. God is looking for a people that want to know him, that want to seek him out. But here's what we find. What happens when you seek him? What happens when you call on him? He's there. He's meant to be found. He's meant to be found. God wants to be found by you. He wants to be called upon, and he has an answer for us. Now, I'm going to get into that. That's the base level. Sometimes there's quiet seasons in our life, and we, we think seeking him is doing nothing. Calling on him is doing nothing. We're not getting the answers we're seeking. We're going to, hopefully, I'm going to get into this a little bit, but it does not change what I've already stated. No matter what you feel, no matter what you think, no matter how much you think that he should be or shouldn't be responding to your calls, he is always there. He never leaves us. He never forsakes. I want to say this like I want to say it like I'm at my deathbed, like I've got a gun to my head. I want to say it like this. I mean, I, I, can, I, I cannot deny him. I want to say it like that. I cannot deny him. I cannot deny the Lord. Your soul, your mind, this world is trying so hard to deny Christ. And it is subtle, but, and, I, and you've heard me say it a million times, I'll say it again, we have denominations because of discrepancies, yes, 
But ultimately, where does it go? Come on, look at some of the things, some of the denominations that we don't even call Christian anymore, right? Jesus is no longer the Son of God. You know, he's Satan's brother or whatever else they think up crazy stuff, right? That's what these real weird deviations and then, oh, don't, don't forget there is the Father God, but there's also the Mother God, right? Who's ever been approached by Mother Godders? I don't know if that's what they're called, Mother Godders. But they'll come up to you in the mall and tell you, you know, you heard about the Father. Did you ever hear about the Mother? We're not talking about Mother Mary. We're talking about some other mother. Anyway, it's all an attempt to take Jesus out of his place of deity and off his throne. And there is an attempt. Now, that's, those are extremes. So in a very subtle way, the devil, that's where it goes. But in a very subtle way, uh, the enemy is trying to, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but is trying to get us uh, away from the deity of Christ and ultimately who he is who he is. He didn't just go to a cross and shed his blood for you to go live your life. But he shed his blood so that you would have life. It's a very big difference because us going to live our life is like putting a, a patch on our arm or punching a ticket getting on a cruise ship. And that's not what Christ did for us. Christ gave us life. We did not have life. You were dead in your sins, the Bible says, but Christ gave us life. It's not that you have life and now you have eternal life. You were dead and now you have life so that when the body dies, your spirit doesn't. You don't actually get eternal life uh, when you die. You have it the moment that you receive Christ. You are dead and then you're alive. And then this body dies but that death was already done at the point that you nailed, you kneel before him at his cross. It's an attempt to take him away, to take away his deity. And that's uh, why point number two is that Jesus asked this question in Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 8, you can pull it up uh, in the NLT or the New King James, but it says, actually pull it up in the New King James for me if you would, because that verse says, I tell you, you will avenge them speedily. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Jesus said, he's giving a warning, and we don't have time for the whole parable, but it's a great parable to go home and read in your own time. I can sum it up. This parable is about a widow who is constantly going to a judge saying, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And finally, the judge says, I'm not even going to do it because I'm a good judge, but just because you're annoying me. And the Lord tells us, learn a lesson from this parable because he says God is a just God, right? If this judge gave justice, then he says in verse 7 in the NLT, then he says to the people who cry out to him day and night, surely God will give justice. Will he keep putting them off? And then he sums it up in verse 8. I tell you, 
He will, ju uh, he will grant justice to them quickly, but when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? And what he's saying is, is that the Lord is there to be called on, and in fact what he's saying is that the type of calling on that he's looking for is a desperate call. This is Jesus' words, and you've heard me say it many times. I'm not saying that the rest of the Bible is lesser to the words in red, but I, who pays attention to the words in red just a tiny bit more? I'm not saying that the other words are invalid, but when I see his words that he spoke from his mouth and they're quoting him, I usually just say, okay, Jesus, there's no arguing about interpretations. There's no, you know, well, maybe there had this, maybe Paul had an opinion in this area. Jesus says, to us, the type of seeking that I'm looking for is a desperate cry, and it's a relentless cry, and don't stop until you see what you've been seeking, which is ultimately him. That's really what you're seeking. Who sought the Lord for a thing, but you got busy praying, and you found out that the Lord was better than the thing, and then you got the thing, and you forgot that you even prayed about the thing, you don't, even, you don't even realize you had it until two years later. You're like, wow, I forgot that I even prayed about that thing, and God did that thing two years ago, but I fell in love with the Lord in a greater way during that season. Who's been there? As mature believers, you've all been there. And what he says is a warning, though. Is he says, that's what I'm looking for, but I'm warning the world. I'm warning believers that that faith is what I'm looking for, and it the reason I brought it up in the New King James first, because the question is basically, is will he or how many will he? The question is, it, it's, he's warning us that faith is going to be hard to find when he returns. Who's noticing that there's a spirit creeping in to the world? It's already been in the world for a long, long, long time called doubt, the spirit of doubt. But there is a much greater spirit of it creeping in. Now listen, if you don't believe me that it's increased, even if there were really bad people throughout history, right? We know it. The nation was formed. This nation right here, America, is not a heathen nation, and it was not uh, founded. I don't care what your fake history books tell you. It was not founded uh, for a desire for riches and gold. But... It was, a, it was seeking for the Lord. That's real history. I've, I was born and raised in it. I've read original documents without their, all this editing of all our founding fathers. I, was, I, I spent years in this, and, and now, so when I hear it, it's like, it's so shocking to me what people think and believe about our forefathers. It was God, 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 God. Everything was God, and everything was founded on God. Now, there was mistakes. I'm not going there. It's not a political sermon. This is not an American sermon. And I get it. There were many things that were done that were evil because there's always been evil people. Right there in the Garden of Eden, we have Adam and Eve, God's creation and his glory, and we have Satan. So don't be surprised that we also had Satan at the founding of America. Now, my point is that here we are today, uh, in a new season, though, of evil, and, what, and my point was this, look around your town and count how many church buildings there are. Now, again, 
I get it. We had to go through all kinds of things, right? We went through slavery, right? And then we went through, even into the 1900s, the continual breaking of some of those horrors, right? All the way into some of you guys were kids when we were still dealing with these things in this nation. And I understand. But you can see churches scattered across every village, in every town, in every city of this entire country. And when you went to school and someone said God, you weren't confused, is that Allah or is that God, God, right? When you said, let's pray, it wasn't like, which God do we pray to? And I could keep going. I'm going to hold back because I don't want to get arrested today. But I could keep going on some of the things that have changed. And I'm telling you right now, it is because people, yes, we could just say they're walking away from the Lord, but it's because doubt crept in that that church mattered, that that Bible mattered, and that being together mattered, and so on. And little by little, you watch them turn into pizza parlors. Right? Italian restaurant up in, in Rhinebeck. Or into other things, again, which I'm not going to mention now. Some horrible things the churches have turned, these church buildings have turned into. I get it. It's just real estate. In the same way, the Bible in itself is just a book. If I burned it right here, I know you guys are freaking out at me. I'm not going to hell. It's just a book. I'm not going to do that. All right, it's the words inside that book, okay? I get it, it's just a building, but at the same time, that was the place where Christians went and they congregated. And I know that real estate gets bought and sold, but there's something greater than that. It's not just churches growing out of their space or people growing old and moving around. There is a spirit that has crept in and it is doubt. Now listen, you know that I'm not trying to teach you about what you can see. What I want us to hear today is that same spirit is trying to creep into the mature elect believers. The Bible warns that in the last days, that if the Lord doesn't shorten the days, that even the elect would be deceived. There is an attack against God's people like never before to try to pull us down into this place of doubt where we just begin to doubt, does this even matter? Is this making a difference? Am I wasting time? I'm spending all this time in prayer and all this time in the Word, and I never see anything change. And it is a spirit. It is from the devil, and it, is, it has come in an attempt to pull you away from the Lord. I've seen this door of doubt before. I've watched people creep into it just to poke their head into it, and I've watched them walk down that hallway and away from the Lord completely. It is like a seed sown in our soil, just like the Word was a very simple seed. It was just, do you want to know Jesus? Come on, who was, who was, who was reached the same way we all were? Whether you were a kid or an adult, someone came to you and said, I have hope. Why? I know Jesus. And it was a tiny little seed that was put in your heart, a little tiny microscopic seed. But little by little began to grow, and you began to, this desire began to increase in you. Come on, whose story is just like mine, where you wanted to know him more? And now you wanted, now you, this Bible that was so intimidating, I, you begin to crack it open, and I kind of want to know what's inside there. 
And then you began to get around other believers and so on, right? We know the story. And now as a mature believer, you look back and you can think, how could I possibly have lived without him? And it started, though, with one little tiny thought, one little tiny seed, one little tiny idea. And the enemy is planting. He has been running out in the night. And the word tells us that he sows, right, the tares among the wheat. And yes, I know that that's people, but it's also within your heart. There's a wheat field in your heart. It is the Lord's harvest. You are, the, you are his wheat. You are his harvest. And within your heart, the enemy's been trying to sow tares in your heart, trying to mix it in with the word, mix it in with principles and concepts and ideas that have been around since not our American forefathers, but our Christian forefathers. And these now suddenly were wiser than ever in, in history. And 2,000 years later, we're redesigning the church and redesigning what Christianity is. And I'm and I'm, I'm watching some of these YouTube videos of these churches, and I'm not, you know I never name names, so don't even ask me. But I'm watching some of them, and, and I'm, I'm wondering if you guys are trying to get too cool. This pursuit to be cool is, it might seem subtle, and it might seem simple trying to reach the world, but it's, it's actually changed you so much that as a mature believer, I don't recognize you anymore as my brothers and sisters. I'm not saying they're not, and that's between them and the Lord. I'm just saying that if you go outside right now and you look at an apple tree, all of us know what an apple tree is. And then we think we're crazy when you start looking and it looks, looks like a pear tree. And everybody's like, no, I'm an apple tree. And you're like, well, I've been born and raised knowing what an apple tree is. And your fruit's green, and it's not a Granny Smith. That looks like a pear. And I'm starting to see this, and I just see that this spirit came in and said, well, if you talk too much about Jesus, you're just going to push people away. Because they said, because people don't believe in Jesus. So don't approach it like that. Just, be, just love them, be friendly to them, and then surprise them with it one day. It doesn't work, does it? That same spirit, I know I'm giving you extremes, but they are little tiny whirling thoughts. They're like the little, the, you know those seeds that just blow in the wind, those little white ones, right? Little tiny, they like just float. They can float like a bird, and they just wander in the winds, and that's what the enemy is doing right now. But I want to say this, though. At the same exact time, Jesus does not inspire doubt. Jesus does not inspire it. He doesn't say to the devil, go ahead and, and see if you can tempt them. God never told Satan, try to tempt Adam and Eve. This is just the reality we live in. He exists, we exist, but God exists. And the Lord will use that same exact situation, those same exact things that are going on, because here's what happens. And I just, I didn't expect this sermon to come out, but as I sought the Lord, it kind of unfolded on its own. Ultimately, what happens is he uses these moments for us to dive deeper. 
even blinder faith than ever before. Who knows you have blind faith? Anybody here have clear faith? If you think you do, you're lying because Jesus hasn't returned yet. And our faith is based, or you haven't gone to heaven yet, one or the other, unless maybe you did and you came back. I don't think anybody here has done that. You're living in blind faith, and we need to be okay with that. But the Lord wants us to have blinder faith. Like, I'm talking, it's so blind, you can't see. I mean, really, like, just he's, the door of the plane's opening and jump. Like that type of faith. I'm not talking about faith for miracles or faith for God to do things. I'm talking about faith in him, which then brings miracles and for him to do things. Amen. Where we believe him in such a way. We need to believe him like that. Listen, you think I'm crazy. 1970s, if you talked about a UFO, you were a conspiracy theorist or a psycho. Now CNN is reporting it with video. Is that like, and no one's, do you, have you noticed like society's just like, just going along with normal? Anybody getting a little, like a little weirded out, a little confused by this? Governments having a count, you know, like having like count, like big giant meetings right now. Just, you know, meanwhile, Hollywood's doing this and movies coming out, whatever. Who thinks that maybe the enemy has some deception up his sleeve like we've never seen before? And I remember saying it even eight years ago as this church began, and I, I, can, I can think back to many sermons where I said, we better know him now because there'll come a time where it'll be so thick and the deception so great, it will be hard to know him. It'll be hard to really break away from the idea, ideologies and the spirits on this earth. And then we must have a foundation in him now. And here we are eight years later, and I'm saying it again. The Lord is so gracious, isn't he? He's so kind to us, so merciful, but we must know him now. The Lord's been bringing me back to that place. You guys know that I deal with, like, chronic lower back things, and I was laughing, though. I, was, I started laughing. You know, you laugh crying in the Lord. Who's ever been there? You don't know what to do. I don't know. Laugh or cry. I'm doing both. Well, I found that the best stretch for me is prostrate, but I start on my knees, and you kind of put your fingertips as far as you can go. Your butt kind of comes down to your legs as far as you can go. So you're super low, but it starts with your knees, right? That works great. That actually gives me a boost, and I can have a great day if I do that in the morning. And I had some worship music on while I'm stretching. And I just started laughing. I'm, all of a sudden, I was like, wow, this is the place I need to be. It's like, it's not a coincidence. This makes me feel good. This sets my day. It, it literally aligns me. Come on, this is like physically, I'm physically aligned for my day. And I said, Lord, just forgive me. Forgive me that, I, that, I, that this prayer mat now, it's not a yoga mat, it's a prayer mat. I'm not calling it yoga. It's a cushion mat, okay? You guys can call it yoga if you want. It's a piece of cushion. It was made in a factory. It wasn't made in, in Tibet or wherever, or India, wherever they're practicing yoga. And I said, Lord, wow. And I just started to laugh because I said, it, it, this is really funny. But I also, you know, I'm also caught up by the spirit of the Lord. So I don't know, laugh or cry, because I realized that I need to be there. And it was very special. 
actually it just it's you know it's so simple and so subtle how quickly we can turn just turn into him and all of a sudden he just begins to increase it's a there's a greater realm of his presence come on who's been there and that's it, this is not so you could have a better life although you can have a better life i i hate those titles it's like basically they say go to college because then you can make more money but they say don't choose your job based on money So it's kind of like that. It's like, I'm not choosing the Lord because I'm going to have a better life. I'm choosing him because there is no life without him. And yet if I make this choice, I will have the thing that I've been promised, a better life. But if I just seek a better life, I'm a little off. If I just seek to go to heaven, just get through and go to heaven, I'm a little off. My pursuit must be to know him, to call on him. And simultaneously, the reason he needs us there is we are his only witnesses. What light does God have in the earth if it's not us? Again, I didn't write the gospel, and I didn't design the kingdom of God. He did. I'm just one little part on the machine of the kingdom of God. But the way God designed it is he does not shine light in the earth except through his servants. I mean, yes, he said, you're foolish to say there is no God, right? We know that. He said, how could you possibly? You can look around, and you can see God in creation, but then to point people to Christ, how does that happen? It's only through people. And you've heard me say this a few times recently. I've heard miracles. I've heard about like Muslims that were bowing down and, and doing their prayers. And, and, the Lord, and Jesus actually shows up. But that is a very, very rare experience. And even still, they still need to, then they immediately need to find other Christians to be coached and, and to be trained in what they think they just saw and felt. And so it's through us. And so that this, this idea of us like adding to the Lord to us for a better life or because we need him because it'll make things easier is not wrong, but it's not right. And I just saw that the, the Lord was calling us closer and I could see the enemy, the reason why he was sowing so much doubt and the reason that there's so much debate. I was just thinking about this. You remember the blind man in John chapter 9? He gets, he gets healed by the Lord. And, and it, if you read that chapter, man, they are freaking out. I had, I had it here in text, but I'm not going to have time to, to go through it. And I even broke it down into make it really small. But he's, he's healed by the Lord. And finally, he turns to them and he says, listen. I don't know who he is. I don't know anything about him. All I know is I was blind, and now I can see. And he says, do you want to know him too? And they freak out. Jesus later finds him, and he says, do you want to, you know, basically, he says, do you want to be saved? And he says, sure, I don't know how to do that. Well, you're, you're looking at him. I'm, I'm, the, I can, I'm him. I'm the, I'm the he. I'm the one. And gives him salvation. And I was just thinking how, you know, here's Jesus. He's literally working this incredible miracle, and they're all freaking out about how Jesus did this miracle on the Sabbath. So he must be a devil. And I was just thinking, Lord, we're not so far off. I just see the enemy has caused us to become so cynical 
and skeptical about every little thing. Now, the world just says, I don't need them. But to believers, what happens is, I could see this in just little areas, little tiny areas. We just begin to doubt God. We don't believe him. And what happens is, is ultimately what happens? Well, we stop praying. If you doubt, listen, if I said, I'm going to give you a dollar, and you said, okay, give me the dollar, and I don't do it, and then next time I say, I'm going to give you a dollar, just ask me for it, and you ask, and I don't do it, what happens? What happens the third time? Who's going to say, okay, give it to me? You're going to say, forget this. And the devil has come in and crept, crept in and, and is trying to convince the world He's already convinced the world in many, I mean, in billions of ways, being people, that Jesus doesn't exist. But he's trying to convince us that because we don't have it all figured out, because we don't understand every little tiny detail about Jesus and the gospel and the kingdom, that it's be we're better off, we're just better off dividing, and, and, and you can see it. It was division first. And then the, the church dwindled down to a little tiny thing that was never meant to happen, and, and they have no choice but to close. They don't have the money. And you can see it started with like these all these little tiny doubts, doubts of each other, doubts of God, doubts of his word, doubts of, well, maybe the times have changed, maybe we need to adapt, and so on. You know, I'm just going to say this as my final point. It's never too late to turn and put our faith in God. That's I'm going to bring it together with that. It is never too late. Who is so excited at our grace and mercy in our Lord? It's never too late to have greater faith. It's never too late to seek God. It's never too late to turn things around. As I was praying and seeking the Lord... And the Lord did something funny for me just to make me know it was him. It's in 2 Kings 22, verse 2. <laughs> Whoever knows what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. 2, 2, 2, 2. It's talking about a man named Josiah. And it said he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. And he followed the example of his ancestor David. And he did not turn away from doing what was right. As you begin to look in First Kings and uh, Second Kings chapter 22, you're going to find this story about an eight-year-old. Come on, who loves the story of Josiah? He's one of my. He's got to be. I, I'm sounding more and more like Jeannie every week. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. The whole Bible is my favorite. I've heard other preachers do this, so we're not the only ones. What ends up happening is it's your favorite verse for today, but the whole Bible is your favorite. So it's gonna. It makes sense to say this is my favorite. He's one of my top favorite characters of the Old Testament. <laughs> Josiah is an eight-year-old. He's got a grandfather, Manasseh, who was a horrible king, like one of the worst of all time in Judah's history. And finally, Manasseh, at the end of his life, he gets taken away by Babylon. He repents. The Lord actually brings him back. He dies back in his homeland. His son takes over and is evil again for two years, 
and now the kingdom, he dies because he was evil. The Lord has enough, and this eight-year-old takes over the kingdom. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says that we have to come to Christ like a child. The Lord has this young boy, innocent, not, not molded and shaped by the world yet, and shaped by his ideas and all of his concepts, and he's thrust into this kingship. And basically, when he was 26 years old, he had begun to he repair the temple. This is all in chapter 22, and he, it's in his heart to restore the temple of the Lord. And something happens. Something happened, which is amazing. It says in verse 8 that they found the book of the law. He said, I found the book of the law. You know, it was a dark, dark season for a long, long, long time. And, and I, I'm going to ask, the, believe me, get in line with me. I have so many questions for the Lord of why he does what he does. I probably won't have them once I see him face to face. I don't know why he allows someone like Manasseh, Ahab, to have these 30 and 40 year long dark periods ruling a nation. Come on, who can identify? We have darkness in this nation right now. But suddenly the things are about to turn around. And what happens is is Josiah, it says when he hears it, and this is the amazing thing. The Lord was still letting the nation exist. He didn't destroy the nation completely. Some people saw him, some people died because they turned away from him and, and, and that was, they chose their own fate. God didn't do it to them. They just walked away from the Lord and that's what happens, the, right? Spirit is life, flesh is death. They led themselves to their death, but what's amazing here is Josiah was prophesied by the Lord to come, but at the same time, Josiah makes some choices. There's not one scripture that said that God made him read that word. There's not one scripture that said that Josiah was forced to break the pattern of his grandparents and his parents. There's not one scripture that said that God made him do it. It says that when he heard it, he tore his clothes, and that's what they would do. That was an Old Testament sign of just horror, of shock, and of true humility before God. They would tear their garment, and it was a sign of repentance. And the Bible says that he said, go seek the Lord for me. And it says in verse 19, actually, let's read it from verse 18, and I'll close here. They said, but go to the king of Judah, who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Verse 19. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against this city and its people. God didn't tell him that. He read that. He found it in the word. No wonder we're in the situation we're in. Because the Bible prophesied that if this, if you do this, 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 and that, this is what you will get. And he turned to the Lord and saw it 
and said, Lord, I'm repenting. And it says that this is what would happen, that the land would be cursed and become desolate. And that's what had happened. But he said, you tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have in, indeed heard you, says the Lord. We can go on and read verse 20. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on this city. And in chapter 23, verse 25, it says, Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses, and there has never been a king like him since. That's what the Lord's looking for. He literally turned the fate of not only him, but of an entire nation for his lifetime by one act of repentance, one act of humility before the Lord. Isn't this amazing? And that's the place where we must live. That's where God wants us to be. We can just turn our situation around. And I just want to pray this. I just want to pray in every mind, in every soul, in every heart. These little floating seeds of doubting and just that you are, Lord, that you're not faithful or you are faithful, but it's not quite what I seemed, and, and blah, 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 and our mind just starts spinning and rolling and trying to understand you. Lord, it's simple. We need you so much. There is no such thing as life without you. We don't, we're not even breathing, Lord, except that you have supplied oxygen into our lungs. We don't exist without you. God, we just turn to you. Lord, from the depth of us, we turn to you. And I pray, Lord, by your word, Lord, search us out and cause us to want to follow you that closely. And I thank you, Lord, that you see it, you hear it, no matter what the enemy says, that the Lord does not listen to you, that he hasn't heard you, that he doesn't respond to your cries, I thank you, Lord, that at that moment, my word says that heaven hears. And Lord, my word says, Lord, with Daniel, it took two weeks, three weeks, before the message even came. So sometimes we don't even recognize that God is on the move on our behalf because we've humbled ourselves, we've cried out to him, but he is doing it. I thank you, Lord that there's one thing you cannot resist, and it is a humble heart. It is a person that says, I want to truly know you. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're here today touching hearts. I pray for healing in the body and the soul and in the mind and the spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you're with us. You never leave us and you never forsake us. Praise the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.